This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the greatest MCU movie of all time crossover podcast, the show that uses a unique grading style to redefine what the greatest MCU movies are. I'm Tom Duncan. And I'm Little Adam. Yes, you are. You absolutely are. If you want the first half of our discussion on the movie, you can subscribe to the Streaming Circuit podcast for that. But we're here now to apply the patent pending Stan Lee rubric started by my regular show, Greatest Movie of All Time podcast to determine the greatest MCU movie of all time. If you've never listened to the show before, that's okay. My regular show, Greatest Movie of All Time, uses our patent pending Stanley rubric to grade movies on their legacy, their impact and significance in the moment of their release, their novelty, their classicness, and their rewatchability. Plus then, we give all of you some points too by incorporating the audience scores from both Google and Rotten Tomato users. And tonight, we're here to discuss the fourth film of Phase 2 and our tenth movie in this series with... The Guardians of the Galaxy, originally released on August 1st, 2014. Directed and written by James Gunn with Nicole Perlman. Music by Tyler Bates, if you can call much of this movie outside of the pop song score. Uh, I guess there is one, you know, associated with it. Starring Chris Pratt as Peter Quill slash Star-Lord. Zoe Saldana as Gamora. Dave Batista as Drax the Destroyer. Vin Diesel as Groot. Bradley Cooper as Rocket. Lee Pace as Ronan the Accuser, the 15% winner in our first part. Michael Rooker as Yandu Udanta. Karen Gillan as Nebula. Jimon Hanshu as Korath. Glenn Close as Irani Rael. Benicio Del Toro as Tenelier Tivan, the Collector. And Josh Brolin as Thanos. All right. I have two different numbers for the budget of this film. I have the gross and the net. What do you think they were? I'm going to guess this was $185 million. It was higher. So the gross budget on this one was $232.3 million. Wow. The net budget was $195.9 million. Mm. Hi. But that makes sense. It's a lot of CGI. All right. Box office and ranking among all MCU films. Where does this place? All right, so box office, I looked up some box office numbers from my research before this episode, so I do know it's around 770 million, right, for global? Yeah, 773.4. Yeah, so MCU, so there's been, what, 33? Yes, Marvel's is last. (laughs) Yeah, that's not surprising. I'm going to say this is like 17th. That you hit it exactly right on. I didn't look that one up. I'm just smart. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Right around the middle. I mean, which is pretty incredible. $770 million movie is in the middle of your franchise. That's pretty good. DC would kill to have that. Total domestic box office, 333.7 million domestic opening weekend, 94.3 million. Definitely think that was surprising at the time. Critic scores for this one. Did you look any of these up? I did not. All right. Rotten tomatoes. What is the score out of a hundred for critics? You said correct. 83. 92%. Wow, the critics got one right. Look, good for them. All right, Metacritic, the uh, corns of, of the critics scoring out of 100. Uh, yeah, I should just look at his letterbox. I'm sure it's the same. 
It's uh, out of 100. I'm going to say, I don't know why. I feel like this one might be lower. I'm going to say 79. You're pretty close. It is in the corn zone. It is a 76. It's terrible. It's Metacritic. Do better. All right. And Letterboxd, what is the user rating? 4.1. 3.8. Okay, Letterboxd be better too. All right. So the plot summary for this one, and you had a actually really good idea. So if you are listening, he who never listens to this podcast, Kieran, you potentially <laughs> explaining the plot summary every month and just like sending us a clip that I can just intersplice or drop <laughs> into the episode of you explaining each of these Marvel movies, I think would be much funnier than me doing an AI generated version of the plot summary. But just food for thought for when we get to Avengers Age of Ultron. All right. So the plot summary for this one. In Guardians of the Galaxy, director James Gunn crafts a rollicking space adventure that seamlessly blends humor, heart, and a killer soundtrack. The film introduces us to Peter Quill, a charming rogue played by Chris Pratt, who finds himself in possession of a mysterious orb with the power to destroy civilizations. As Quill assembles an unlikely team of misfits, including a green-skinned assassin Gamora, Zoe Saldana, a walking tree named Groot, Vin Diesel, a trigger-happy raccoon named Rocket, Bradley Cooper, and the vengeance-seeking Drax the Destroyer, Dave Batista, the stage is set for a cosmic escapade unlike any other. Gunn's screenplay infuses the narrative with witty banter, cultural references, and a surprising amount of emotional depth. The chemistry between the cast is palpable, elevating the film beyond its genre trappings. While the plot follows some familiar superhero tropes, Gunn injects enough originality and personality to keep the audience engaged successfully navigating between moments of laugh-out-loud comedy and poignant character development, making it a standout entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. All right, did you know? Do you have any, like, facts or details that you wanted to add to this section, or are all of yours reserved for the, the scoring? Oh, no, friendo. They're for, they're for some scoring. All right. So did you know? When Dave Batista found out he got the role of Drax the Destroyer, he broke down in tears, overjoyed at getting a Marvel comic book role. Did you know? Vin Diesel recorded all of his lines in several different languages, including Russian, Mandarin, Spanish, Portuguese, German, and French, so that they could use his real voice in the film around the world. I mean, how hard is it to really record I Am Groot like 12 times in different languages? True, and I'm sure Groot isn't in any other language. So it's really just saying I am in different languages. Yeah. And then Groot. <laughs> Yo soy Groot. Yeah. Me amo Groot. Or I guess that's my name is Groot. But yeah. Can't be too hard. And I'm sure he got paid handsomely to do so. That's probably true. All right. Did you know? Chris Pratt apparently stole his Star-Lord costume from the set for the sole purpose of having it available so he could show up in costume to visit sick children in the hospital who might want to meet Star-Lord. Love that. Did you know? James Gunn stated that Chris Pratt's audition was so good he was prepared to offer him the role, even if Pratt did not lose weight or get in shape in time. Gunn joked that he was willing to CGI a six-pack on Pratt's body. However, Pratt asked Gunn to give him six months to lose 50 pounds, and he ended up losing 60. Wow. Did you know? The soundtrack album Awesome Mix Volume 1 reached number one on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart, the first film soundtrack ever to do so without any original music. It was also nominated for the 2015 Grammy Award for Best Soundtrack. 
So with that, we will take our first break and we'll be right back. Before we jump back into the episode, next month we are discussing the 11th movie in our crossover podcast series with Avengers Age of Ultron from 2015, written and directed by Joss Whedon, music by Brian Tyler and Danny Elfman, starring Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, and Jeremy Renner. You won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where it's streaming for you. That's R-E-E-L-G-O-O-D. All right, let's go right to the Stan Lee rubric, and Legacy is up first. Do you want to go first or second? I want to go second on this one. All right. So I think this is in context of all three movies as a whole, that this one is somewhat judged. I do think that this is held as a movie by Marvel and Disney as something of a complete franchise out of nowhere that they were immensely surprised with how well this film did. And it opened up so many other doors for them to try properties that I don't think they would have necessarily gone out of their way to do if it had not been that these characters connected in this way and that this was fairly well written. So it gave them some property and some leeway, especially with the audience to try some different things that we didn't have necessarily the character name recognition of an Iron Man or a Captain America. Not that we had like established stories with all of those people, but they had a lot more name ID than Star Lord and Gamora before this movie. I also think that given their inclusion and how central that they are to all the revolving action for phase three, not just their second movie, but I think the entire Guardians crew is somewhat influential in both Endgame and Infinity War and play a very central role in both of those. I had a five for the industry, and I think that this is still a fairly high-ranking franchise within the overall MCU and MCU fans, even going so far as that Phase 4, one of the more successful films, or I guess is Volume 3 and Phase 5 at this point. It might be. Yeah, it is. But even cutting to volume three being included in that is still the really only propped up franchise of this last year when all the other films kind of really tanked. So I think this is one of the few examples that they can point to and say, we still have good characters that people care about and we can do a fourth movie even without Chris Pratt and star Lord. We can still do stuff that people will care about with these characters. And this has become a property to itself. So the marketability in the audience, I think, would show up for a volume four, even if Chris Pratt and Zoe Saldana and Dave Bautista have nothing to do with it. So there is a strong enough pull there. I had a 4.5 for the audience. I have a 9.5 overall. Uh, I agree with almost everything you said. I don't think that a volume four would do awesome without the main Guardians and especially without James Gunn. Yeah, you might be right without James Gunn. I, I think it might lose a little bit. Well, I mean, even if James Gunn came back, I don't know if that core at the end that we see, I mean, who is it? It's Rocket and Groot and uh, Adam Warlock and Mantis. Uh, I don't know if they have the same pull, but spoiler alert, this is going to be, this movie is going to score pretty perfect on almost every category. So I was really looking for just one or two to take it down a notch. I found industry to go to a four. That was one of the places I found to take a point off. Mainly for box office purposes. I mean, I know $770 million is a shit ton of money, and 99% of movies would 
executives would chop off their left arm to make that much money. But, you know, it's as we just talked about, it's the 17th ranked movie in its own franchise. And it's the lowest grossing of the series, which is understandable since they were very unknown when it came out. But so that's why I nitpicked and, and went to a four there. Public, I went with a perfect five. I mean, this is, as we talked about on my pod a bit, you know, Kieran is an example, but there are many other examples in my life of people who do not like Marvel movies are not into Marvel movies, but they love the Guardians of the Galaxy. They, they'll they go see any Guardians movie. They love these characters. They love Baby Groot. They love Rocket. They're all about it. So I think the public, this movie is very special and kind of transcends not even the MCU, but kind of transcends superhero genres, I think, and is just accessible to anyone because it's really a comedy at its heart more than it is a superhero movie. So nine total. So that's a 9.25 average between the two of us. Impact and significance. This one I'm a little wavering on. I think that this was a surprise hit out of nowhere. This was a very talked about movie by a lot of people that I knew in the moment. I mean, I can remember one of my mom's like friends from college that was basically uncle to me forever and ever coming and saying, you know, I've seen this movie and you should really watch it. And so we sat down and I think I watched it with him and my dad for the first time. And it was kind of just this underground swell. We talked about the soundtrack and how influential that is. And all the songs I think have gone on to be like now part of this classic seventies repertoire, even though I don't think they were necessarily at the time, but they definitely had a resurgence among at least my generation. And I don't know, maybe Adam's generation too. So (laughs) from an industry standpoint, I'm kind of divided because these characters come back a lot. And so because they have this, Uh, recurrence, whether it's as Guardians of the Galaxy after the Avengers or the last Avengers movie or their importance within the Infinity War and Endgame movies. There's a part of me that wants to say that these are closer to a five, but I can't quite get there for whatever reason. So I have a 4.5 for that. But I do think in the moment that these characters overnight became huge. You couldn't go anywhere without people who had nothing to do with Marvel wanting a baby Groot plush toy or, you know, whatever. It it became its own thing. All of these characters seemingly became big overnight. And on the backing of this movie, Chris Pratt became like one of the big action stars or cemented his place as an action star coming out of this because I think shortly thereafter was Jurassic World and then he was like the most bankable movie star all of a sudden between those two things. So this kind of led to a career for him. I think it led to a resurgence for Zoe Saldana. It made a household name out of Dave Batista, even though he had started doing some things a little bit ahead of that. But I think this and that he was also inspector that year, even though he, he wasn't great in that movie and that movie wasn't exactly great either. I didn't think he was bad, but you know, you, you get more of him as we've gone along. So each and every one of these, I do think has a somewhat of a career elevation or resurgence among the audience at large, everybody kind of knows these characters, the name ID, the soundtrack, all of those are high. So I had a five on the uh, audience side of it in that moment for a 9.5 overall. Yeah. So industry, I went with a perfect five, kind of everything you just said. I mean, Chris Pratt, a year after this is in Jurassic World, which is the biggest, one of the biggest movies of all time. Dave Batista, Spectre, I think was the year later uh, in 2015, but this takes off his career 
in acting from WWE, and he really makes the transition from that to this. Karen Gillan was in the Jumanji movie two years after this, I think. Obviously, Bradley Cooper was already a star, but all these people took off. And I and the biggest thing I had for industry was James Gunn, because this this pole vaulted him to essentially leading DC. I mean, he he never gets that job without the Guardians of the Galaxy. He, I mean, not to say he didn't direct stuff before this and his, maybe his stuff was good. Maybe it wasn't. I don't think I've seen much of his outside of this, but like this movie is really the reason he got that job just because it showed how much he can world build and how he can take characters that no one knows and make them awesome. And so I think the industry, this is a, a perfect five for me, the public. And I did some research, Tom, did you know? All right. I'm going to hit you with a little, did you know? So July 2014, the lead up to this movie, because this movie came out August 1st, 2014. July 2014 was the highest grossing month in the history of comic books. Okay. The industry had never sold more comic books than July of 2014. And I think, I don't have proof of this, but I feel like it's a lot to do with these guys. Because you're still going to sell Batman, you're still going to sell Superman, you're still going to sell Spider-Man. You're always going to sell those comics. No one knew who the hell these characters were. No one had heard of them. I had seen many Marvel movies opening weekend at this point. I And my friend Brayden, shout out Brayden if you're listening, told me, hey, they're doing a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I was like, who the fuck are they? Like, what? And then he explained it to me. He's like, oh, well, there, there's a tree and there's a talking raccoon. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Marvel's doing what? I was like, this is the end. Marvel's doomed. And so I think people, this piqued people's interest. It got people reading comic books because they didn't know who these characters were. They wanted to learn about them. And obviously they've become some of the favorite characters in the MCU. Rocket is a top three character for me. So I went with a five for both. So perfect 10 for impact significance. So that's a 9.75 average between the two of us. Novelty. Last month you tried to convince me, I think it was somewhat of a throwaway comment that when I said Winter Soldier was the most novel film because it was the only film that I could think of that really shouldn't have worked that did, and you threw this movie out, <laughs> and it sat with me through the editing of that episode, through the watching of this movie, into the prep, and now into my thoughts here. And I think you were right. So I will also give this a 10. This movie has no business working, and it works, and it's executed at a high high level sorry you cut out there for a second could you take it from the top um what you just said you said something about it, it stuck with me through this and this and i thought about it and you know what um can you take it from there yeah i said that uh you had mentioned that this movie should be on par with winter soldier that i gave a 10 last month for novelty for being a movie that doesn't work or excuse me has no reason to work but does and i think you're right this okay, is a movie that has no business working, and yet it does. It succeeds and executes at a extraordinarily high level for a concept that we hadn't really seen in the MCU so far. It's the first truly cosmic one. I know that you had said that like Thor is the first one that takes us to multiple universes and explores the cosmic side of the MCU, but I think this is the one where it, it truly makes some leaps. It's kind of a, the MCU's Star Wars moment in some of it with all of the various characters that just look extraordinarily different than everything that's on Earth. And so I think that 
this really profoundly expands their universe. But if this also wasn't executed at the high level that it does, I I don't know if it would be quite the same movie that we're talking about. So I have a 10. I heard everything you said. I just wanted to hear you say you were right again. I just wanted to hear okay. that on a loop. Yeah, living in your head rent-free for a month. That's great. I love it. Yeah, this is a 10. This movie's I, a 10. I don't want people to think that I don't listen. <laughs> yeah, novelty. This is a 10. Okay, there's a talking raccoon. There's a somewhat talking tree. Benicio del Toro's in it. Like, there's just this is an off the wall <laughs> movie. <laughs> That's your barometer of novelty is whether Benicio is in it. Do we need to re record 1998 so that you can put him up for best supporting actor like Corns? Yeah, it's a fucking crazy movie. Del Toro's in it. You know, it's off the walls when that happens. Howard the Duck's in it. It's a shame he's not in it more. Um, he needs to be have a bigger role. But yeah, this movie is a novelty. It's, a, it's you are alone on that that theory, there, my friend. I, look, look, Seth Green does a great job. I'm on the Pete Davidson train, as mentioned in my pod. But uh, I just I need more Howard the Duck. I think he's a fun, sassy little duck. I, I like ducks. Daffy, Donald, Affleck. I like ducks. I don't know what to tell you. But yeah, this movie is Huey Dewey Louie. He, oh, Huey Dewey Louie. That's a cut. That's a deep cut. Wow, that unlocked some core memories right there. I didn't even know I had. Darkwing Duck. Darkwing. Scrooge McDuck. Mm, he's a bit of a jerk, but yeah. Yeah. Darkwing. That's a good one. I, I love that show. That was a good show. The Mighty Ducks. The Mighty Ducks. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Love love me a good duck and throw Howard in there. The Anaheim Ducks. I'm a fan of the Anaheim Ducks, even though they suck. Trevor Zegris, my favorite duck of all. Yeah. So this is a 10. I, the, this movie, there could not be a more novel Marvel movie to me than Guardians of the Galaxy can't be done all right so that is a 10 classicness you want to go first or second i'll go first it's, it's pretty easy for me so i went a nine here and this is another category where i was just kind of looking to maybe not give it perfect tens across the board so i went with the nine you know some people some losers might be offended by some jokes that are made um, if you are all i can say is grow up but you know so i think you know maybe there's just some stuff that people might not love and might not be politically correct anymore. I don't know. Or maybe people are upset with the James Gunn thing because of the tweets. Some losers might be upset about that too. I don't know. So I went with a nine and mainly just because I was looking to to dock it where I felt I could. So I went with a nine. So if we're looking at a set of characters or a certain group of characters, a franchise within this franchise that has remained steady over the course of its multiple films, for it to basically have a gap of however many years between volume two and volume three, and yet volume three still be, I think, among the top five grossing movies of last year, I think that has some staying power. In addition to that, I so I guess you could say that's the MCU version of timelessness, even though none of these movies have been around long enough to really establish timelessness in my mind. But... There's a notion where it's ahead of its time because of how these characters have become bigger in the MCU, become more important. Also, and I think for what we said about its expansion of the universe was important to the overall construction of Marvel and what Marvel would become during phase three, which I think we all agree is its best phase. But at the same time, I think Marvel took some bad lessons out of this movie. And that works against it a little bit in its ill classicness too. 
because for every Black Panther that you get Ryan Coogler to make and, and foster, there's still going to be the weird ones that don't quite work. And even though you and I are not nearly as hard as everybody else on Eternals, <laughs> that one feels like kind of a weird knockoff of somebody that didn't know exactly what they wanted to do with this, but taking some very unknown characters and trying to put them in the foreground. It, it works sometimes with Ragnarok, but for other people, not necessarily me, but at least you don't like love and thunder. There's a lot of the lessons where it's let's take some extraneous characters. Let's take some choices. Uh, let's expand the universe. Let's do she Hulk and see what we have here. And they thought that they could use infinite chances because they had a good enough track record. But the problem is over time, if you don't hit on it, if you don't have the successful story run that James Gunn puts together here, you don't have the character development, you don't have the charisma of this cast or at least the attachment that they all create during the course of this film, I think it has a negative classicness to this movie because it also, I think, in a way, saddles us with some pretty poor efforts later on in the Marvel Universe. And while it's not necessarily the fault of this movie, and I don't hold it like huge points against i don't think i can boost it up to a 10 based on some of those things i also think that one of the weird saddles of this entire franchise is this kind of hiatus that they went on between two and three where the main cast wanted to come back they wanted to do three i do think there is going to be a push to include these characters somewhere else in the mcu yet but james gunn was not supposed to be originally be a part of it they fired him, then they hired him back, and then now he's with DC. And so it's got a lot of weird moving parts with all of that. I eventually ended up at an 8.5, which is still above my standard 7, because I do think this movie was ahead of its time. But I can't boost it up much beyond that because of those little things that I'll just kind of nitpick a bit on this one in the interest of not having it at a full like 60, which I think we could have gone for sure. Yeah, so a couple things on what you said. So Guardians 3 was actually supposed to be the first movie after Endgame. Did you know? But then the pandemic happened and everything shifted. But that was originally supposed to be the first movie out of the gate for Phase 4, which things might be different if it was. Yeah, I do think that there'd be more forgiveness and more willingness if that had been the first out of the gate. If you had that and then you had like your Black Widow somewhere in there, and then you did No Way Home, I think people would have been much more, okay, we can kind of shift out of the fully Avengers mode and try and do something else. We've kind of hit some sour notes on a, a few things where we've said goodbye to some characters we enjoy, but we're ready for whatever's next. Instead, the way that they progressed and what they actually did put out just has left a sour taste with each revolving one, and we got a moment of leniency when it came to volume three, but it just, it, it doesn't put the genie back in the bottle that we still had quantum mania and the Marvels and Shang-Chi and all these other ones that at least in my opinion, didn't work. Well, you're on an Island with Shang-Chi. Most people think that worked, but I, I mean, I think, I don't know how it would have worked because I also think it was in a way, good timing for Marvel to have it when it was because if it had happened at the beginning, then we would have gone from Spider-Man No Way Home basically until now with no like awesome Marvel movies. And that's like, I mean, that's going on two years, so that would be bad. So it kind of broke up the mediocrity that they were in. So maybe it was a good thing. The Eternals thing is interesting. 
I think because we both like Eternals, but the problem with doing weird characters that no one knows is you have to make people care about the weird characters that nobody knows. And even I, I like that movie and I like am not emotionally invested in really anybody in that film. Like I don't care all that much about any of them on an emotional level. I just think the movie looks great and I think it's a fun story and it's different than what we've gotten. But you know, this movie, you, even though rocket's an asshole, you still care about him. And like, you know, it's emotional, even without seeing three, it's emotional when he's like, I didn't ask to be made and all that stuff. And you know, we are Groot and you care about when he, he and Gamora have that moment with the Walkman, and he, like James Gunn just makes you care about characters. And I think that's the thing that, some of these movies that are using odd characters are not getting you need comedy. You need us to care about the characters and then we'll go along with your weird shit, but you got to get there first. And that's the one thing that I would say I'm very hopeful for with his DC shows. I mean, I was not necessarily a huge fan of his suicide squad effort. It was obviously better than the original one, which I think is in the conversation (laughs) for worst comic book film ever made the David Ayer one with Will Smith. I don't know if it's in the conversation. It might be the conversation. I mean, there are some pretty bad efforts in there as well. So I'm not going to hold it out completely, but it's at one time I did say it was the worst. I I will give it that. But there are some equally bad efforts that you could throw in there like Daredevil. And we discussed the Incredible Hulk, but the original Hulk movie with Eric Bana. Mm. Yeah, so there's some pretty bad efforts in there. But I'm interested to see what he does to actually bring back like some of the side characters or the characters that, you know, part of the Superman legacy is, is that while kryptonite is known to be his one weakness, really his heart and his humanity are the things that make him different as a superhero, make him vulnerable. So getting us to care about Lois Lane for the first time in, you know, 20 some years, because I didn't really care for the Amy Adams, Lois Lane version, even though I think Amy Adams is an excellent actress. It just wasn't a role that necessarily fit. And I didn't think they wrote that part well. And I know this is an MCU pod, so I'll try and make this short because it's a DC (laughs) set of characters, but you know, caring about Perry white or Jimmy Olsen again would be nice giving us some additional value or, or depth on some of those characters and giving us something to care about for the first time. I think it's going to be important to reestablishing some level of storytelling depth in the DC version. So it would be nice to get a a Superman that I actually enjoy and care about, even though I shouldn't say that because I really enjoy man of steel comparative to the public at large. I still enjoy that film, but I know that most people don't. So let's see what he's willing to give us, but I'm, I'm cautiously excited for what he's able to produce and, and see what he's got. And Maybe we'll eventually do a DCU pod or something. I don't know. You mean he shouldn't shoot Jimmy Olsen in the head five seconds into introducing him? Should they not do that this time around? Did they even introduce him? They just kind of like, oh, he died. Well, yeah, he's, I mean, he's the one in the in BVS where he's like, yeah, oh, I, I, know. Took, I took this picture. The SpongeBob voice five seconds later, pff, right in the head. <laughs> not great. Not great stuff. No. Yeah, I think. You know, I think, I mean, people enjoy movies for different reasons. I think a lot of people like movie, movie dorks like us would say like, I'm here for the story and story is really important. Obviously for me personally, it's characters. Like if you make characters, I enjoy spending time with, 
then you can tell any fucking story you want. Like I'm going to be on board. And I think that's why I like franchises. Like I'm a big person of like do a sequel. Like I want a Ferris Bueller's day off sequel. That's, that's a top five movie all time for me. I want the sequel. And everyone I talk to is like, you can't do that, that you can't ruin that movie. And, and to me, it's like, no, I just want to spend more time with Ferris Bueller, like bring Matthew Broderick back. It's probably not going to be good. Like, I understand that, but like, I just want to spend time with characters. And that's why I like the MCU so much. You can tell me any story you want with Tony Stark or Rocket or Peter, whatever. I'm sure it's going to be good, but I like the characters. So I'm going to be on board with pretty much whatever you do because I just enjoy spending time with the characters. And James Gunn, more than most directors, understands how to make a character enjoyable to spend time with. Rewatchability. I'm not sure I would have gone this high earlier on, but at least for this last rewatch, I think it falls in a category of about a nine. It's a very easy rewatch. I'm not sure I have the other two nearly this high in the rewatchability. I think this by itself is probably just a tad more fun for me because it seems like a self-contained story, even though it does have the power stone uh, as part of it. It is still somewhat to itself and so can be watched or enjoyed simply for the movie's sake as opposed to any other connections in the further universe. So I have a nine. Perfect 10. Rewatchability, piss test, Kieran test, any test you want to throw at it. This is a perfect score. This is a 10. Yeah, this movie, I mean, the, the, the exposition of the Infinity Stones is important for movies moving forward, but it has nothing to do with any movie behind it, really, and has no bearing on you understanding anything, because it's the first time, you know, comic people knew what the Infinity Stones were and probably knew before that scene that this, that's where we were going. But I had no idea what the Infinity Stones were when I watched it, but I understood this movie perfectly fine, and I got it, so... Yeah, I don't think it has anything like that, any pressure from previous movies on it. This is just, it's definitely the most rewatchable of the Guardians because it's better than two and it's less emotional than three. Like three is a heavy fucking movie at spots and it's like, oh man, I don't really want to cry tonight for the 12th time today. So I'm probably not going to watch three. This movie is just so much fun. It's a perfect 10. All right. So that's a 9.5 average between the two of us. For audience score, we had an 88% for Google users and a 92% for Rotten Tomato users, giving us a 9 overall. So to recap the categories, we had a 9.25 for Legacy, a 9.75 for Impact and Significance, a 10 for Novelty, an 8.75 for Classicness, a 9.5 for Rewatchability, an audience score of 9, and a final total of... 56.25. And does that place it at number one and our new number one? I think it does. God, I hope it does. I want this to be number one. It is currently a point and a half ahead of the Avengers for the new number one. Let's go. Let's go. We did it. We back. We here. So we have a new official number one now. Should I sing Viva Las Vegas like Travis Kelsey or should I leave that? I, I think that can be left to the uh, post game celebration. It doesn't really make sense on the pod here. Well, you know, that makes me happy. I think this movie's fantastic. And I think Marvel, of all the things that Marvel has done, and they have completely changed Hollywood about four times over now, this might be their greatest accomplishment, is taking this property with these characters that no one knew about and turning them into global icons. I don't disagree. So we'll wrap it up here before we do... Where can everyone find part one and your new 
let's say social handle. Yes. So on Twitter, we are now at streaming circuit. That's streaming without the G streaming circuit. Probably should change the Instagram name too. If I can do that. I haven't even figured that out. I don't use Instagram much, but you can follow us on there if you'd like, but uh, I, I think we mutually know somebody who could help you with that. That's true. He's very good at social media. I am very not. You're just not good at tech period. Yeah. I just don't care. I probably could be good at it, but I just don't pay attention at all to it. So follow us on Twitter at streaming circuit. You can check us out there. We have movie madness, 2023 movie madness that came up a couple weeks ago. You can check that out. We have Oscar stuff coming up. We have the winner of movie madness coming up soon. So you can check that episode out. A lot of fun stuff. You can also follow us on Twitter at rev almanac, a podcast that I'm doing with our mutual buddy corns corn dog, uh, the revisionists almanac nailed it. Uh, where we go back and look at Oscars from past years. And Tom, you were on for 1998, which is uh, last month's episode at this point. Episode two, yes. Yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. There's a lot of controversy over one of my picks. I don't really understand why, because I made a much more ludicrous pick and no one has said a word about it, but everyone's attacking my Lindsay Lohan nomination. I don't understand. I think that's much more preposterous than Kirsten Dunst for Small Soldiers and You're insane. Best Supporting Actress. You, you listed Lohan for Best Actress. And yeah. while I can't say a whole lot because I went with a fun nomination myself, even though I think Kathy Bates was well worth, you know, a nomination in this year and she received one for Best Supporting Actress, I did category manipulation and uh, included her in the Best Actress race for The Waterboy. But thank you for taking all of the ire and fire off of me with your inclusion of Lohan. That's fine. I mean, I don't care about people shitting on my picks. I completely understand. I just don't understand why that pick is getting more heat than the Dunst pick. Even the other day when he posted the social media thing and I saw Dunst's name and I'm the one who nominated her. I was like, Jesus Christ, that is bad. Like, that looks bad. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Affleck for Armageddon got you some gross. That I don't understand <laughs> either. Like, these, today. Like, our, like Affleck and Lohan, I think, are miles and miles more deserving than Dunst. I only did Dunst because I like small soldiers and wanted to nominate it. Like, I, I am just shocked that that's what's getting heat and not Dunst. I can't believe it. But hey, you know. That's why we do the game. That's why we play the game, right? So yeah, you can check out Rev Almanac on Twitter. We do a lot of posts, a lot of lists, a lot of polls. And when you see stuff on there, just know that I am not posting any of it. Um, it's all credit to Corns. He does all the social media. He's a wizard behind the curtain. So yeah, you can go check out all that stuff. Try to have We try to have fun. Well, that's going to do it for us this month. Thank you for listening. You get hurt, hurt them back. You get killed, walk it off. Next month, we are discussing the 11th movie in our crossover podcast series with Avengers Age of Ultron from 2015. Written and directed by Joss Whedon, music by Brian Tyler and Danny Elfman, starring Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, and Jeremy Renner. You won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where it's streaming for you. That's R-E-L-G-O-O-D. Please like, follow, rate, and review, or whatever on whichever platform you have so that more can join in on our fun. You can also email the show at thenewronnyduncanstudios.com or at greatestalltimemoviepodcast at gmail.com. Find our new Facebook page under Greatest Movie of All Time Podcast or find us on YouTube, X, Instagram, Letterboxd, or TikTok at the handle at Podcast. The Greatest Marvel Movie of All Time is a joint production of Ronnie Duncan Studios and The Streaming Circuit. 
This show is mixed, edited, and written by Thomas Duncan. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM. <laughs>